Welcome to Short Course, episode 84, for December 2nd, 2022. I'm your host, Ben Barry. Something that has come up in the last year or two, as things have been unraveling slowly with USPSA, is the idea of something rising to take its place. That people should be starting outlaw matches and running new rule sets and, and trying different things, and I think there there is a place for that. So, for example, PCSL is doing something very interesting in the two-gun format, which I think has been completely neglected by most of the major sports. They've put out a, a one-gun rule set. Um, I've briefly looked through it. It didn't really jump out at me. I don't really see it supplanting USPSA, but who knows? People might be pissed off enough at, at headquarters that they really do start following through with disaffiliating and, and running matches under under other rules. but. I really think there is a lot of value in the USPSA rule set and the USPSA rule book. There are literally decades of problems that and gray areas that have been resolved because you've had to pick an arbitrary line and just say, well, this is where this this is where we draw the line, this is in, this is out. And there are certainly places in the USPSA rules or the interpretation thereof that that I think are completely wrong. Uh, one that we'll talk about in a little bit is is the idea of video evidence. I think, the, the idea of video evidence being completely verboten is a terrible idea and, and should be changed. So I'm not saying that USPSA is perfect, but I, I am saying that it's, I think, the best thing that we've got. And any sport that tried to throw out USPSA and start fresh without basically copying all the lessons learned from USPSA would be starting quite a bit behind uh, They'd have a long way to go to to even reach something close to parity. And what got me thinking about this is is a match that I have seen the rules. People have been posting about it this week, and it's the match is called the World Pistol Shootout. I think registration just opened uh, a day or two before I recorded this. But when I first saw the links going around, I thought, okay, this is an interesting take. There's somebody trying to do something as an outlaw major match. And let me download the rulebook, take a look at it. And as I read through it, I just found myself kind of shaking my head and thinking, we've solved these issues. There, there are problems that are being written into, the, into these rules that are, that are foreseeable, that have been solved by USPSA. And they make me really appreciate why I do think it is worth staying and fighting and taking the years that it will take to turn USPSA around and, and fix the problems. I don't begrudge anyone going out and, and trying to, to start a new sport in a lot of ways. The fact that there are credible outsider threats, I think, makes the argument that USPSA needs to reform. I think it makes that argument quite a bit stronger. I, I don't personally have the bandwidth to also become involved with those. Um, I just have too much going on. And so this is sort of the way that, that I'm investing my time is, is doing the podcast, trying to put out information on USPSA and, and hopefully have the opportunity to work from the inside to improve it. But like I said, I was reading over this rule set and things were just jumping out at me and I started making notes and I thought it might make an interesting episode of the podcast. And this might come across, you know, I'm going to say a lot of things that, that are critical. I, I don't want to say that this match is dumb and you shouldn't shoot it. I have enough worries that I wouldn't be interested in shooting it. It's it, so it's happening in Texas, so I wouldn't travel to shoot this match. Um, but even if it were closer, I think there there are enough weird things in this in this rule set that 
really are foreseeably correctable that that I just it, it gives me too much pause. Now, I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad people are trying different things. Uh, but I think there are really some some lessons to be learned looking through this. And so I, I have four sections as I as I went through the rules, things sort of fell into four different categories. And I'll go through them not in the order in the rule book, but but by category. And the, the four categories are things that I find interesting, things that I think are just bad, interesting ways that they've copied USPSA, and then things that that actually do concern me. So the high-level summary of this match. It's going to be in March 17 through 19 in Gordon, Texas at the Infinity Range. They, I guess, near their factory. They have a, a little complex of seven bays set up next to each other. The match says it's going to be 11 stages and a mix of short, medium, and long courses. It's going to be staff reset for $225 as a match fee. So 11 stages on seven bays. Uh, you know, for 225, it's it's a little steep, but I don't think it's unreasonable. I, I if 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 it were going to be a really high quality match, I don't think that would that would be a, a particular issue. The place that they are going completely off the reservation is they their divisions. They only have two divisions: performance carry and unlimited. And the base performance carry is nine millimeter and up. All magazines in both divisions are 140 or greater. And performance carry is minor only, and you can't have comps, barrel porting, or frame-mounted thumb rests. According to the rules, I would assume everything else is allowed. We'll get back to that under the uh, the concerning section, but but that's 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 basically what they say. So, unlimited has the advantage that you can have comps and you get major scoring. The thing that I would be interested to know more about is they're putting the cutoff for major at 150 power factor, which I did some looking. That's basically equivalent to a plus p like gold dot self-defense round so you could actually get there with a, a plus p loaded nine millimeter you're not going that's not fully into nine grenade slash 38 super comp territory so i actually think that's it maybe i think that's kind of interesting i think there is something to be said for rewarding people who are shooting something closer to actual self-defense ammo versus 125 power factor kind of plinking ammo. You know, I think there's something there. Um obviously IPSC has has a slightly lower power factor for for open and I don't think anybody really has an issue with that. I think a lot of people think that it actually is easier for the guns to not undergo as much stress. So I I, I think that's interesting. That's I didn't technically have that on on the list here of interesting but but it, now that I'm talking about it, it it definitely falls under that. I'm curious to see how it works out basically. Both divisions can have magwells, neither division can have flashlights. And the scoring is just going to be straight up hit factor, calculated exactly the same way as, as USPSA. So major has always been a, an advantage. I imagine major will be here as well. It'll be interesting to see if people just load up some some hot nine millimeter, you know, plus P level loads and, and shoot major even with production-ish style guns. Uh but like I said, I, it'll be interesting. All right, so the actual bullet points here I had under interesting. So this isn't so much a a rule in the rulebook, but something they said in their advertising. So this is being held at the Infinity range, but from what I could tell, it's not being run by Infinity. It's just Infinity is sort of on the outs with USPSA, so I guess they're they're amenable to hosting outside matches and they happen to have a range that that's that's the best i can i can infer 
I'm not, I haven't spent hours on Facebook trying to research this, but that, that's what it looks like. So as I mentioned, it is going to be staff reset, but they say that the staff doing the resetting will be kids from a local 4-H club, which I don't have firsthand experience with this. Again, I will be curious to see how it works out. I know overseas is somewhat more common. I know there have been some matches around here that had uh, just sort of paid regular people resetters. I, I still think this is not necessarily the way to go. I think if you have a good active RO community, you can get some, you can get ROs, shoot the pre-match, shoot the, the staff match, and then you can actually have your staff be a relatively compact crew of, of staff. But I have a mild aversion to this. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how it works, but in general, the idea of just bringing in people who don't really care about the sport and and telling them just to kind of be hired labor, it makes the whole thing feel a little more transactional, where if you can do it, where the people working the stages are fellow passionate folks who want to give back to the, the sport and contribute, I, I think that's a good way to do it. But again, I know getting staff to work staff reset is, is always a challenge. Uh, so they say they do say in the rule book, Inspection of ammunition to make sure it adheres to the division requirements, i.e. chronograph, will be done in a random manner. Specific procedures will be determined by match officials and must be declared prior to the event. So that's kind of cool. Obviously near and dear to my heart, the idea of, of having an actual random chrono. I will be curious what they what they decide to post, but I, I read that and I thought, okay, yeah, that's good. And again, that's this is the kind of thing that as it is right now, the USPSA rules don't allow for. They they have that, as I mentioned in, in previous podcasts, they have that rule that every competitor must be chronographed, which I think is actually counterproductive to the goal of of running a chrono station. So I thought that was that was a good thing and something that, that USPSA should look at as well. Something that they encoded in the rule book that I know is more of a cultural thing overseas and very much not a thing here in the US is how long you can spend at make ready. So they actually say in the rule book, you got 30 seconds to make ready, you get one warning, and it's a procedural every time after that. Now, I wonder how they're going to track that. Are they going to have a little scorecard that goes with you from bay to bay that, oh, he got his his long make ready warning, so start gigging him with procedurals. It'll be interesting, but I, I definitely think when we talk about match flow, when we talk about things like staff reset and trying to move people through matches, it definitely is a, an interesting topic that there is a small minority of people that definitely do cause sort of outsized backups by their long make ready routines that I don't know really, I don't think it is, it is any kind of competitive inequity to expect people to make ready and, and actually be ready to start the stage, assuming they don't have some issue with their gun or whatever. If they are expected to make ready in 15 or 30 seconds, I, I think as long as it's enforced equally, there's, there's no competitive equity issue there. And I don't think having an extra one to two minute make ready really helps you as a competitor. And so I don't think we, we have to go out of our way to enable that. So again, I thought that was interesting. I thought that was something that has, has come up in discussion in, in USPSA, but it, I'm happy that they're trying a possible solution and maybe we can learn from it. They also say video evidence is allowed for contesting rule calls, but that it can never used to, to harm you or give you a penalty only to basically take something away or prove that you didn't do something and you can't use video evidence to get someone else given a penalty which is an interesting rule on the whole it, it seemed like a, a fairly reasonable procedure in my opinion 
I don't even know that we need a, a an explicit rule about it. Just basically have the policy be that if there is video, if the RO, CRO, range master wants to look at it, it's it's a part of their discretion. But the, you know, this idea that that video evidence is wicked and cannot be consulted, let the person making the decision use their own logic and faculties. You know, if they don't trust the video evidence, then they can say they don't trust the video evidence, but not even allowing them to consider it, especially in in the cases of of say 180 breaks. I I actually I have seen this with my own two eyes when I was shooting the IPSC Nationals in 2017, I think it was. There was a guy in our squad, offside RO calls a calls a 180 break. The his cameraman happened to be standing right next to the the offside RO, so he had a great view of it. Call the range master, range master looks at the video, says, "Nope, you're back in the match. Muzzle didn't break the 180. Have a nice day." And it worked. It it saved this guy. I mean, this was IPSC Nationals. It was this was this was a relatively big match that some people had traveled quite a ways to go to. And so being able to use video evidence in a case like that, it just it just makes sense. So definitely something that I think USPSA could improve on. And then this last one in the interesting category was kind of a toss-up between interesting and concerning. So basically they say, well, first of all, they they say that you are allowed to shoot in multiple divisions. And the way the match is being run, the Saturday is performance carry and Sunday is unlimited. And so you could sign up, I guess, pay the registration fee twice, potentially shoot the same gun if you have hotter and softer ammo or different guns. Anyway, the, the rules say if you're DQ'd in one division, unless it's something flagrant, uh, like cheating, rage shooting, knowingly breaking rules or safety procedures. Unless it's one of those things, you're only DQ'd for that division. And so you basically don't get to to finish shooting that day. But if you're registered in both divisions, you still get to your score from yesterday still stands or if if it's Saturday, you still get to shoot the next day. I mean, this gets into the whole thorny issue of of allowing double registration at any rate. I mean, I think it's pretty undeniable that if you really wanted to do well on Sunday, then having a practice run at all the stages on Saturday, there's there's no logical argument that I can think of that that wouldn't just be a pure advantage. So at that point, it becomes one of these things where if the match is high stakes, if it's cash payouts or whatever, well, then your best bet is is to to sign up and shoot both matches. And if you can only shoot one of the matches, you're you're at a disadvantage. And I don't, I don't know that that's a positive, I don't know that that moves the sport in a positive direction. I think USPSA probably strikes the right balance currently where only at local matches, only at level ones, are you allowed to enter in two divisions for score at above that. If you enter in multiple divisions, if the match even allows it, the first one is the only one that counts for any kind of score, which again, seems like the only fair way to to do things. The I only have one item under the just straight bad list, and I, I don't know if this even really counts, but they, they do have a rule that states steel has to be painted between every competitor, which, I mean, USPSA has that rule, but they have a level one exception. They basically realize that that's not necessarily realistic at, at club matches. Technically, these rules are, they, they say on their website, they're open source, which isn't really what open source means in its original term, but they basically mean anybody can use it without any license or royalties or being a member of any organization. That's what that's what they're saying. And 
basically that rule makes it not super viable if you were trying to run a club match under these rules, but I don't think anybody's really lining up that you could just write your own outlaw rule set uh, just as easily. So, you know, I, I don't know that it's a big deal, but it, it just seemed like a weird, a weird oversight. But clearly the, the rules are, are mainly focused on their level two-ish match where painting between every competitor makes perfect sense. So the third section here are what are called copying USPSA. And these, are, I mean, it's pretty clear. These are, these got USPSA fingerprints all over it. So the first one is they, they copied the old USPSA calibration rules precisely. If the, well, with one exception that I'll mention later, if the steel is still up, you call the range master, range master comes over, shoots at it. If it doesn't fall over, then it's a reshoot. Or if it hits below the calibration zone and it falls, then it's not a reshoot. So basically just old old USPSA uh, calibration rules with all the problems that entails. Namely, the whole stage is frozen until the range master can come over and calibrate this darn piece of steel. There are a number of other alternatives that I, that I think are a lot better, especially for match flow. Either it's an automatic reshoot, or if it's a full diameter hit inside the calibration zone or above, it's just treated as a hit, and then you adjust the, the steel. But all these... This is an opportunity, especially since this is a rule set designed for a staff reset level two-ish match to, to keep match flow running. They had an opportunity to improve calibration, and they didn't, which is kind of a missed opportunity in my opinion. The second thing that they just straight copy from USPSA is the holster rules are pretty relaxed. Again, with a few exceptions we'll get to under the, the concerning sections, but they have USPSA's weird fascination with banning leg straps. Which again, I don't, I don't know that I, I understand that rule in, in USPSA. My understanding is it's based on the old days when you also weren't allowed to wear camo at matches and they didn't want USPSA matches to be militia meetings and everything, which, okay, that is what it is. To me, the, the holster placement rules about where the handgun can be relative to your belt should suffice for all of this stuff. If, if you have a thigh rig, and the gun is still above your belt, I don't really care if it's tied around your leg or not. I just care where the gun is relative to the belt. And obviously USPSA has its duty exception for level one. So yeah, it was just, again, it was weird reading through that they ban these, these in this relatively rules light sport that they ban leg strap holsters, which again, I don't even know makes sense in, in USPSA anymore. Uh, one other place where they straight up copy USPSA range commands are exactly the same, right down to, in my opinion, one of the places that that could be improved in USPSA, which is if clear hammer down holster. That range command is just it's just plain unclear at the the local match that that I help run. the The range command is if clear pull it trigger and holster, which tells you I want you to dry fire the gun. Don't decock the hammer. Don't lower it with your thumb, especially for new shooters. the The range command hammer down is quite ambiguous. Even even in the age of single action 1911s, yeah, okay, dry firing the gun is a quick way to, to drop the hammer, but it's not the only way. And in the days of double action, single action guns where people regularly thumb decock the hammer, the, the, the range command of hammer down is needlessly ambiguous. Yeah, a lot of people would, you know, have their jimmies rustled or whatever by, by changing it. But I think, I honestly think that's one place where the USPSA could be improved change it from hammer down to pull the trigger. So it's very clear you want the gun dry fired to ensure that it's empty and then holster. And again, it's just strange that this rule set just copies that directly. And then 
Finally, not only do they lift hit factor scoring, they even keep the names of Comstock, Virginia, and fixed time stages, and they print them in this rule book. I, I kind of doubt of their 11 stages, they're going to run any of them as Virginia count or fixed time, because honestly, those are boring and kind of lame. And so I don't, it's just interesting that they copy pasted that from the USPSA rulebook when I would bet they're probably not even going to use them. But again, it's, it's, you can see the, the USPSA fingerprints on this. And I mean, come on, any shooting sport now is going to be influenced by USPSA. It is USPSA slash IPSC. It is the, the biggest sport now. Notably, IPSC did away with Virginia count and fixed time a long time ago. So in that sense, they could have at least copied someone else better. But again, just strange. So now we get to the really interesting part. These are the points that stood out to me as particularly concerning. Because again, this is a $225 entry fee match. It's going to be a long distance to travel for a lot of folks. And so these are the kind of ambiguities that, that you really want to tighten up in your, in your rule set. So the, the rules say, quote, competitor may not intentionally add weight to a firearm. What does that mean? Does that mean you can't have lock brass grips? You can only have grips of equivalent weight as factory grips? I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a weirdly specific rule when almost all the other gear rules are, are very open-ended. It basically says anything that shoots nine millimeter and takes 140 mil mags doesn't say anything about single action, double action, uh, where sights can be mounted. They can be frame mounted. They can be slide mounted. None of that is, is regulated, but they say competitor may not intentionally add weight to a firearm. That's going to be a tough one to administer. So again, for, this is this is what we're talking about. What I'm talking about with these these rules that are concerning. USPSA, IPSE have different ways of saying, well, this is what's allowed. It used to be a certain number of ounces, plus or minus. But the idea that that you have to decide whether a competitor a did it intentionally and b how much weight does something actually add is a is a tungsten guide rod enough? It's yeah, like I said, concerning. They also talk about holsters. They say that EDC and race holsters are allowed, but you're not allowed IWB holsters. And then again, they have another one of these vaguely worded rules that just says, and I quote, appendix positioning of holsters is forbidden. Otherwise, there is no restriction. Well, where's the line? What does appendix positioning mean? How close to my belly button is too close? USPSA, IPSC, well, IPSC still has the, the iliac crest, you know, behind the hip bones rule for, for divisions. Is it the perfect rule? I don't know, but it, at least it's clear. It's relatively unambiguous, but this, the way they wrote this, where they want to forbid something, but they don't really tell you what it means or how to adjudicate it, concerning. Uh, and then later on in the competitor equipment chapter, there's a rule that says, Modifying or replacing minor internal parts is permitted. Well, okay, why do I need a rule telling me what is permitted? Right, that's, that's a part of the production rule set because the production rule set has this blanket statement that says nothing except what is permitted is allowed. But the other divisions don't have that. They don't have a rule like that in, in this World Pistol Shootout rule set. Everything is, is just saying what you can't do. And so then to have a rule that says, well, yeah, okay, you can change minor internal components. Well, can I change minor external components? Like, why is this rule there? It's, it's weird. 
another one that 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 <laughs> jumped out at me uh in they have they have the very similar rules to USPSA again this kind of could be in the copying section about basically you can rearrange the range surface at the start position but not throughout the stage if you want to change things elsewhere in the stage talk to the talk to well it's in USPSA it's the CRO in this rule set it actually says you have to get the range master to do it which again <laughs> probably not the best idea but in USPSA, if you violate this, if you if an RO catches you digging your toe in somewhere to give yourself a you know some kind of reference mark in the in the shooting area or something, in USPSA it's a procedural penalty, not brutal, but enough that you're not going to want to to rack up a bunch of them. Uh, in this, it's a DQ. Yeah, yeah, rearranging the course of fire without authorization is is a disqualification. Um, that seems a little steep to me. Uh, another one, and this is this is related to calibration, is they state that you can only call for calibration before scoring starts. So let's say you're shooting a piece of steel in a position, you hear it ding, you leave the position, it doesn't fall. You think it fell. If you see that after the first target has been scored, your chance to call for calibration is already gone. There could be a dead center punch in the center of the calibration zone. And because you didn't call for it before scoring begins, you don't get calibration. Hmm. Not the choice I would make. Uh, They also say that they have a a rule, again, similar to USPSA, where if you have a a steel plate that is hit but doesn't fall, then in USPSA, it's a reshoot. And it's left, I think, deliberately somewhat vague. It's basically up to the RO to determine if the plate was hit or not. It's, It's up to the RO. This rule specifically says that a target turned 90 degrees counts as a hit. Well, I mean, in if you hit the plate, but it doesn't spin exactly 90 degrees, does that still count as a hit? Am I being too literal here? Maybe, but you know, these are the kind of ambiguities that a that a rule set they say something like, "Oh, a target turns 90 degrees." Well, maybe it's pretty unlikely that the plate is actually going to spin exactly at a right angle to the way it was facing. And so that rule seems unnecessarily poorly worded. And again, it I, I think their their heart's in the right place that they're trying to say, if you hit the plate but it doesn't fall down, then it's just counted as a hit. Great. Okay. I have no problem with that. But it's the it's the very specific turned 90 degrees ruling. Uh, maybe I'm taking this from too much of a sort of range lawyer precise language standpoint, but that's what a rule book needs to be. And putting in something really, really, really specific, like 90 degrees, if you don't mean actually 90 degrees, don't say 90 degrees. And then the cherry on the top of this whole thing is there is no arbitration. And to quote the rule book, thus the range master should be fair and thoughtful when addressing any situation not outlined in these rules. Yeah. Uh, again, traveling across the country and basically, I mean, I, I guess this is standard in, in other sports. I don't know how arbitration works in, say, major three-gun matches, if they have anything like that, or if it's in those situations, it's just, yeah, whatever the range master says goes. But this just, this is, it, it's really asking you to put a lot of trust and faith in these rules. And again, maybe I'm trying to read too much into them. To some degree, obviously, this is this is a new endeavor. They are trying new stuff. They're copying some things from USPSA, but also opening themselves up needlessly to ambiguous rules and and issues. And so, I just I don't have supreme confidence that that the range master is going to 
to do the right thing. So again, I, I probably wouldn't shoot this match even if I were much closer. I think it is interesting that 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 people are out there trying new things, coming up with new formats, and basically showing USPSA that they don't have a monopoly. And if we want to be the premier shooting sport in the US, we're going to have to earn it because people are looking elsewhere. But at the same time, I do think that the USPSA rulebook has solved so many of these issues. Yes, it's long. Yes, it has a lot of really specific niche rules with sometimes esoteric exceptions, but they're they're born out of having a rule set where gray area has been found over the years and they've tried to eliminate as much of it as possible. And so I still think for traveling across the country or around the world, your best bet is still going to be one of these USPSA IPSC rulebooks that are relatively battle tested. Could another rule set get there with five or 10 years of really good tinkering and improvements and clarifications? Maybe, but from my perspective, we could also just fix USPSA in, in five to 10 years. And obviously that's, that's the route that, that I'm choosing to take. So if this match sounds interesting to you, if, especially if it's local and you're willing to throw down 225 bucks and see something different, I, I, I I would I look forward to seeing coverage from the people that do sign up to shoot this match and hopefully all of these things are non-issues hopefully they the the match goes smoothly maybe they revise the rule book to correct some of these issues before the match actually starts but yeah I I I just when I read something like this and I just it it just feels like we're going back in time like you're we've got indoor plumbing guys like why do we have a rule book with these issues when there's already a rule book that solves these you can you can write a new outlaw rule set that makes positive improvements. And I tried to call out the ones that I think are positive improvements in this rule set. But it's 10 steps forward, 10 steps back in a lot of ways. And especially in, in really concerning, ambiguous ways, like putting in rules about not intentionally adding weight. You really have to be ironclad about these things if you want people to travel a long distance for your match. But we'll see what happens. The The match is coming up in what, March? That's like four months from now. So we'll see. Um, I like the idea that, that people are out there trying new stuff. I like the fact that people are putting pressure on USPSA and that the idea that you can just coast and keep collecting people's match fees when you do a bad job, I, I like that that's being challenged. But at the same time, I, I think there's still value in USPSA. I think fixing it and making it incorporate all of these positive changes without throwing everything out and starting over new. I think that's the way to go. And like I said, that's, that's where I'm investing my time. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. My email is ben at barryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.